Uh, we are a people of great hope. Amen? Man, I have great hope that we will complete our exterior building expansion very, very soon. And it, that might feel like a hope against all hope, but I thought I'd give you just a minute to get you caught up to speed. Many of you, of course, know that we've been uh, collecting money and doing a campaign to raise money for expansions to our building, outside spaces, one over here, a patio back there, uh, an amphitheater for outside services and events, and over here, a, a stockyard that's like a, a gathering space. And then our, our plan was to, to chop up and repave our parking lot. Well, we had one minor miracle. We didn't raise all the money that we set out to raise, but our next-door neighbors, uh, who are part of the National Heritage Academy, uh, chipped in and, and did a repair of our parking lot with the understanding that three years from now, when they redo their parking lot entirely, they'll help with, with ours, too, saving us a ton of money. So our expenses for this year in, in the repair are zero, uh, and, and then we have a promissory note that in three years, when they redo theirs, they'll pay a substantial, not 100%, but a substantial portion of this. So that's a massive savings in money to us and it means we have to hold our horses a little bit, but I can, I can think of 100,000 reasons why I'm okay to hold my horses for three years. Um. And, and, then, and then these spaces, you, you may recall that about 10 to 12 years ago, Michigan had a little bump in our economy, especially with the tradespeople. And so a lot of them went for greener pastures. As a result, now that, that all the construction stuff is booming, we don't have a ton of subcontractors. And most of the subs we can find who do, who do concrete work or demolition work or construction work, they're booked on much bigger jobs. And we've been bumped out of their queue over and over and over again this fall. Because, of course, if there's a, a small job that's you know, a couple thousand dollars and then there's a big job that's, say, worth $100,000. Of course, they, they got to prioritize that in order to feed their families and all that good stuff. So, so that's why it's been happening so long or why it's been taking so long and why I, I hope now that the big season of construction out there is coming to a cl close that a season of construction here will happen and happen very soon. Our poor project manager, Rick Poling, is pulling out his hair. And if you can't tell, I also am pulling out my hair. It's, it's already gone gray. I don't know what's next. White? Bald? Will it glow? Will I have magical powers? Oh, my God. For the love. Jeez. So you can pray for a couple things. One, uh, pray that I don't lose my mind. That would be really great. Two, uh, you can pray that I increasingly things fall into place for us, that the subcontractors that we now have in place who have us on their schedule to take care of the concrete, take care of the demolition work, which is a little piece over here to open up our lobby, and back there's some huge steel beams, um, and, and pray also for the, the construction guys that everything falls into place and that they get it done because the jobs aren't huge for them. We just want to make sure they get done right and that we, we, we pay the right amount for it and, and that it all actually happens. And then this is the most important thing. Man, pray that as a church, we can increasingly transform from the way we are, which is pretty great, to an even better congregation of people who are aggressively reaching out into the community and welcoming others in. For most of my tenure at Westwinds, we have not had space to grow. And so we jokingly will say things like, sorry, we, we can't, you know, we're full, go to hell. You know, but that's not true anymore. Now we have space. We have extra services. We have room in here. And so we need to be people who are constantly on the lookout for others that need hope and healing in Jesus. People who are like you and me going, I don't fit anywhere else. Most churches don't like me. They look at me. I think I got saved in prison or whatever, you know. We need to bring people in and show them there's space for them here. And we want to be able to use these outdoor spaces to increase the sense of hospitality and welcome at Westwinds. Amen? Amen. All right. If you have questions about any of that, you can email me or email Westwinds, info at westwinds.org. We'll, we'll take that all getting care of. Um, but, but for now, we want to worship God with our giving. And we want to echo the Apostle Paul who said, each of us 
should give what we have decided in our own hearts to give. That, that reminds us that when we give to God, it should be something that we do intentionally upon great reflection. And, and that when we give, it's not just money that we're giving to a charitable organization. No, we give this money to, to God. We give it as an act of devotion and an act of worship. It is not taken from us. We are, are givers because we are believers. Amen? So let me pray. And the ushers, you come forward. Lord, what a great place. And what a great time for us to constantly be reminded of your provision in our lives. You are the source of our patience. You are the source of our hope. You are the one who reminds us that you can heal broken relationships. You can heal injured spirits and wounded psyches. You draw us together as a family and you set our feet upon a rock. You make us strong. And so we give to you, Lord, because we love you and because we believe in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Anybody have uh, embarrassing baby pictures? I mean, of course we all have embarrassing pictures of when we were in like fifth grade, but, but I mean embarrassing baby pictures. My, my most embarrassing baby picture um, is when my dad and my granddad posed me. Now, now please understand, these are two Christian men from a holiness tradition that was so concerned with keeping the rules that, that women in their churches didn't wear makeup and, and they had to wear dresses, the women, not my dad, that covered all the way down to their ankles. I mean, so that's how conservative they are, okay? So my most embarrassing baby picture is my dad and my granddad holding me up with a can of beer and a cigar in my mouth. <laughs> if you see me at Farwell Lake, I probably look a lot right now like that baby picture, but, but I have an excuse. That, that's the most embarrassing picture. I think it's so embarrassing for my dad, you know, because it looks like he's, he's leading the little one astray. Um, the same thing happened actually to my son, Jake. When he was a baby, we took him to see uh, Carmel's parents, my in-laws, and, and I heard my wife shriek, from the other room, a noise she has never made before or since. And I came running in to find my father-in-law with my infant son in his hands and a can of Bud Light just tipping it into his mouth <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> and, of course, there's worse things than that. I mean, you got to be careful what you feed a baby, right? I learned this morning that Amazon has a product for babies. Like if, if you're unable to breastfeed and if you don't have formula, Amazon actually sells a like a baby bottle nipple that'll fit over a can of Coca-Cola, you know, just to give your kid diabetes before they're out of diapers. And I, I heard a story about a woman feeding French fries at McDonald's to her baby, but, but the term that was used is she was pre-masticating, so it's okay, meaning she chewed the French fries up in her own mouth and then brought the baby to her face and sort of pushed it in the baby's mouth like a bird with her tongue. Gross. <laughs> if we have any pre-masticators here, <laughs> I can't even make that joke. Then just know you're welcome. We don't judge you. I think the sign language for your welcome and pre-mastication is <laughs> like something like this. But well, we, we are all keenly aware of how gross it is, of how weird it is, of how unhealthy it is to give alcohol to babies, to give french fries to babies, to give soda pop to babies. We know that because babies are so fragile. And we have to be cautious about how they're fed 
so that they can grow up having the right nutrients, the right enzymes, the right building blocks to be healthy. And that's the thrust of Peter's argument that we'll look at today in 1 Peter chapter 1. He reminds us that you and I, we're, we're, we're spiritual babies. And we have to crave pure spiritual milk. And too often, we look for other things and are satisfied by other things that really shouldn't satisfy us, that actually are, are toxifying our spirits and leading us away from God instead of further into the presence of God. So let's look here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now that you've been purified by following the truth, love one another deeply from the heart. I, I, I love this piece of the Bible that connects purity to love. Because it seems to me that most of the Christian people I know that are really, really concerned with purity lack love. You know what I'm talking about? You see people, that the old adage is that they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. They're so concerned about their behaviors, their rituals, their constructs. They, they want to make sure that they're not doing anything wrong and they, they're really enamored with their own holiness. I mean, th those people don't tend to be loving at all. And I, I look at this and I, I feel convicted because clearly the utmost manifestation of purity is love. When God's spirit gets a hold of you, when he transforms you, when he radically alters who you were to who you are to who you're becoming, man, the, the outpouring of that from you to everybody else ought to be love. Is it? For you, I mean, do the people around you describe you as loving? Do they, do they look at you and feel as though you, you got them? You're going to embrace them? regardless of their flaws, regardless of their shortcomings, that, that you've got love for them? I got a cool note this week from my mother-in-law on Facebook. She doesn't often reach out like that, but it sort of caught me off guard. And she was recalling when we were together as a family this summer, she said, David, I just thought it was so cool. Every morning you'd wake up at our house and you'd walk into the kitchen and you'd kiss Carmel and give her a hug. And then you'd go to each of your children and you'd hug them and kiss them. And then you'd walk over to me and give me a hug and walk over to your father-in-law and give him a hug. She said, the first thing you did was the same thing you did all day. You just never stopped loving us. She said, that meant so much. I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to tell that to my church so they think I'm cool. This is so good. <laughs> no, it really meant a lot to me because I, you know, I, I mean, I do have a tremendous capacity for love. And that's, that's because God keeps working in me to make me more loving. Is there evidence like that in your life? Because once it starts to show up, you got to recognize that's the movement of God's spirit in you. It's God making you filled with love. And I love that, that, that the, I, I love, I can't stop saying love. I, I appreciate that, uh, that this all comes from following the truth. The truth. What is the truth? Some people will say truth is the gospel. Some people will say truth is the Bible. Jesus said, I am the truth. Truth is not an idea for Christian people. Truth is a person. When we follow the truth, doesn't, that doesn't mean that we memorize Scripture. That means that we give our whole selves to Jesus and are led by the movement of his Holy Spirit. Follow, or Memorizing Scripture might help you do that, but the actual thing you're supposed to do is be guided and governed by God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus that lives in every believer. So that's, the, like, that's supposed to be happening. I think for probably a lot of you it is happening. You know what it's like to have God chasing you, chastise you, convict you. You know what it's like to feel those little promptings and nudges. If you're like me, you usually know it after the fact when you didn't listen to it. Oh, man, that was totally God, and I was, like, distracted, you know. 
No, but that's, that's how we hear the voice of God. Like Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and my sheep know my voice. All right, let's keep going. Your new life is not like your old life. Let's stop right there. Your new life is not like your old life. You got a moment in your life, in your personal history, that you think of as the dividing line between who you used to be and who you are? I mean, for a lot of people, it's baptism. I love baptisms here. They're so cool. They're so great. They're full of joy, ambition, and passion, and sincerity. I love them. So for a lot of people, they, they think there was my life before I got baptized, and then after I got baptized, that's, that's, that's who I really am. For some people, it's, it's the time when they, they prayed a, a sinner's prayer, you know, where they, they said, Jesus, I, I repent of my sins, and I, I receive you, and I want to follow you all the days of my life. I, I grew up in church, so, so I, I grew up praying all those prayers and doing all those good things, and you know, they call, them, they call people like me cradle Christians, you know, for whatever that's worth. And, and uh, I still, though, think that there was a moment when I was 18 that was, that, that's the line for me, the, the line that separates my old life from my new life. I mean, I might have died and gone to heaven when I was 15 or something, but what I mean is that when I look back, I go, I, that was the moment where I closed all the doors on things like, you know, temptation. I'm not going to entertain those thoughts anymore. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go exploring the stuff I shouldn't explore anymore. I'm. I'm. I'm done with that nonsense. I'm. I'm gonna be different now. And with God's help, man, I really have been. Today might be the day that that you draw a line in the sand. You gotta have a day like that. You gotta have a moment that, for just you, in your own head, in your own heart, you go, from this moment on, man, I'm. I am different. And your new life, man, it's nothing, nothing like your old life. You have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God that lives and abides forever. Yours is a life conceived by God himself. This metaphor is so rich. Can you think of any other metaphor that we've been repeating for the last 2,000 years? that still bears fruit, that's still relevant, that still makes sense. When we come to faith in Jesus, we are, we are born again. This is your new life. And everything about it, how you're fed, how you engage, how you find pleasure and joy and recreation, everything about it is different because this life has been conceived by God himself. There's a double entendre there. It means first that, that God is your father, but also when, so when you conceive of something, you see it in your mind, you imagine it. How cool to think that God is imagining the best possible life for you in heaven. That he's up there conceiving designs, ambitions, plans, relationships, hopes, futures for you. Now, I can conceive of a lot of things, but I'm not wasting it on you. Oh, no. <laughs> That's just God's business. And it's incredible business. And it's an incorruptible business, which is, which is cool, right? Because the, the, the reason God has claimed you, the reason you're part of God's family is because you've said yes to his son and because his spirit lives in you. And, and you can't, like, you can't screw that up. You think, well, no, I, I know that God can forgive sin, but, I mean, not my sins. You know, I, uh, I got my ears pierced when I wasn't supposed to. 
Okay. No, you don't understand. I mean, I, I looked at porn. Okay. No, you don't understand. I mean, I, I slept with a couple of gals. Okay. You don't understand. I'm, I'm getting divorced. Okay. You don't understand, man. I, I've cursed God and walked. Do you think that you are making up new sins? Like, do you think that your wickedness is so clever that God does not have grace for you? Because I tell you what, all the stuff we just listed in one form or another, that was, that was at play back then. There were Christian people sitting in Christian churches, just like you're sitting here right now, having somebody read these words to them, like I'm doing to you, going, oh, my God. He's for real. He really is not going to let me go. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're a child of God. You've been claimed by God. He's got you. His spirit is in you. You are his. And you can't mess that up. So when you get those little thoughts telling you, I'm too far gone, it's too late, I'm no good, I'm done, you tell those thoughts to shove it because they're lies. Yours is a life conceived by God. All right, let's go on to the next slide. That's why the prophet Isaiah said, all flesh is like grass, and beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Great piece of the Bible. So great they repeated it several times, in fact. And sometimes we read this and we overemphasize the point. All flesh is like grass. Beauty fades. And we assume then that what that means is that beauty doesn't matter. No. Taken as a whole, the Bible has a very high opinion of beauty. Think of the lavish descriptions of the temple in the First Testament, of the tabernacle in the First Testament, of the priest's garment, of the vestments, the incredible detail given to the beauty of the city of heaven, even going so far as to describe the clothes people wear in heaven. The Bible is concerned with beauty. But what we're told here is that as much as exterior beauty might matter and might make you happy and might give you some satisfaction, how much more interior beauty? So don't fall prey to the stupid thinking that makes people go, oh, I guess I just have to be ugly and dumb then. No! Do what you want, man. The way you dress, your accessories, whatever, I mean, that, that's a reflection of your character. So you want to be goth? Well, then come on here and bring your spiky dog collar and we'll have a good time, you know? And you want to be a hipster? Then get your suspenders and grow out your beard and roll up your skinny pants I and mean, we'll have a good time. It's cool. But never mistake the fact that as much as those things are good, there's something even gooder. There's something even better. And it's the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit allowing you to grow up, to mature in the faith so that you can express yourself through God's gifts, God's power, and God's anointing in your life. That's good preaching. Oh, I'm excited. Glad I came today. All right, here we go. Next slide. So void yourselves. We got any, like, fourth graders in here? Any 10-year-olds? Any that can tell the really serious adults what void yourself means. It means poop your pants. That's what it means. That's the literal translation. Poop yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and hateful speech. Get rid of it. Don't you think it's time that Christians took seriously that we must be done with hate speech? I mean, that, that's not our jam. 
That's not our jam. No matter how bad they are, we are not people defined by hate. Not malice or hypocrisy or envy. We, we got to get rid of that stuff. Corporately and, and personally. Like newborn infants crave pure spiritual milk so you may grow into salvation, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the heft of spiritual development, Christian maturity, and character formation. This is the, this is the thing. is to understand that we are like babies. Now, you may sit there and go, well, I once was a spiritual baby. I get it, but I've been a Christian now for 30 years. Whoa, just because you've been wearing the jersey for three decades doesn't mean you're getting much playing time. There's a lot of people who've been floating around the church, cradle Christians like myself, been floating around the church but have never engaged the Scriptures have never seriously applied the scriptures to their marriage, to their business, to their life, to their neighborhood, to their city. There's a lot of Christian people who call themselves by the label and never once have tried to attend to the voice of God's Spirit. They've invited the Spirit of God into their workplace, into their marriage, into their family. That's pure spiritual milk. The Spirit and the Scripture in real life, your life. Not Sundays only, but all days, always. That, that's how we mature. And so it's possible to have somebody who's experiencing more of the fruit of the Spirit in their life, more, more of the manifestation of God's presence in their life after only following Jesus for two or three years than for somebody who's been following him for 30 years. Because the 30-year Christian thinks he knows everything, and the baby's just getting healthy. you got to get healthy. you you, you got to do this stuff on purpose, man. And teasing out Peter's metaphor here, there's really three things going on. There's, there's the ingestion and the, the digestion and then the divesting, meaning, meaning there's the stuff you put in, the content you consume, and then there's the stuff that's in you already that you're, that you're thinking about, that you're ruminating on, and then there's the stuff you've got to get rid of because it has no value. It is utter crap. And this is the Christian life simplified. You've got to be careful what you're putting in your mind. You've got to be careful what kind of spiritual food you're eating. And make no mistake, it's all spiritual food of one form or another. Our music, our social media accounts, our, what we read, our conversations, what we see, it, it's all in here. I tell my kids it's like soup, you know, because every ingredient that you put in the soup flavors the soup. You put shrimp in there, and you take the shrimp out, it still tastes like shrimp. You put porn in here, and then you turn the porn off, it still stinks. You say, how, how do I get it right? Well, you've you got to renew your mind. You've got you to make more soup. You've got to put better and better ingredients in there. You've got to let it simmer for a long time so that it, it doesn't stink anymore. That doesn't happen by accident. The things that we look at, the things that we hear, the things that we involve ourselves in, man, that, that's the stuff we're eating. That is the spiritual food. Sometimes it's good. Holy 
righteous, affirming, life-giving, energetic, passionate, joyous, future-casting. Sometimes it's like a baby nipple on a Coca-Cola. And the only person that can discern what's right is you in cooperation with God's Spirit. You know if those things are messing you up. And if they are, then knock it off. You know if those things are helpful for you. And if they are, then great, have more. It's up to you. I mean, the, the big boy stuff of Christian spirituality is you walking with Jesus. And when the other Christian people around you speak into your life, it's you, by the guidance of God's Holy Spirit, discerning whether or not they're all wet or whether or not they actually are intervening because they love you and you should listen to them because God also speaks through his church. How do you make that determination? In prayer. Who's qualified to make that determination? You. You. So you got to be careful what you put in. you got to be careful what you consume. And then, once it's in there, now you got to deal with it. I mean, it's a whole lot easier to not get it in than it is to get it out once it's in, right? So now you got to deal with it. You're digesting it. You're meditating on it. And you go, oh, I never meditate. I don't, that's kooky. You ever think about something more than once? You ever have the thoughts rolling around in your head, a little hamster on a wheel? That's meditating. It's just you're doing it by accident, and it's making you crazy. You, you can choose which thoughts in your head you pay attention to. You can amplify the good ones. You can isolate the good ones. And that's on you to decide if you will meditate on the words of life, if you will meditate on the things of God, if you will consider these things as the Scripture instructs us. Because when you do, man, you get, you get healthy. Your whole outlook changes. Your reality changes. Your, your relationships are sweetened. I mean, you, your posture, everything about you is going to change when you get more of the Scripture and more of God's Spirit in you. But if your mind's a runaway train, you can't get a hold of your thoughts, and you're catastrophizing, oh, man, this person probably hates me. My kids ate a booger. Oh, no. I mean, you're just a mess. And it's all, we always think in our culture it's fun to say I'm a mess. Oh, I'm such a mess. And then everybody goes, no, you're not. And they like it on Facebook, and it's so sweet. But just stop being charmed by your own anxieties. Stop recognizing that just because nobody hates you for it, doesn't mean you have to live like that. There's something better for you than being a mess. God wants to clean you off, clean you up, raise you up, make you good and proud and noble and righteous and secure. Those are the words the Scripture's got for you. Hot messes ages ago, man. It's time for you to live in your new identity. Don't be cute. Be you. I mean, be really you, the person God has been dreaming about, the person you know is in there and is dying to come out. We're waiting, man. We'll like you even more then. So you got to be careful what you put in. You got to be careful what you meditate on, what you ruminate on, what you're digesting. And then there's some, there's some stuff you just got to get rid of, man. I mean, it's time. Now, I don't know what those things are for you, you, but you know. It's not like some surprise. I mean, you sit there and go, oh, yeah, there is some stuff I got. There is some crap in my life. Get rid of it. Jettison it. Cut it out. 
Knock it off. This isn't judgment. This is permission. It's time for you to grow, to mature, because all the things that you want, the kind of relationships you want, the passion that you want, the dreams, the visions of the future, all that stuff is on the table for you. But this crap is slowing you down, making you dirty, messing you up. It's slippery, so get rid of it, man. Get rid of it. Now, we have a communion set up for everybody today, and this was actually the mechanism by which the earliest Christians began to practice living out of the Scripture by the Spirit. And, and it's got nothing to do with the, the little emblems of, 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 you know, bread and wine in the sense that they're not, they're not magic. They're just they're signifiers. They're reminders. They're, they're triggers for you and I. They're a way for you and I to act out our intention to be different. That's why they called it the medicine of immortality. Isn't that cool? Like every time you participate in communion, you're, you're taking vitamins for the future. You're getting vaccinated against sin. You're becoming a better version of you. And that's what you've got to do today, man. You've got to decide in your heart that this is the first step. This communion today is the first step in living saturated by God's spirit. Being fed by God's word. So you're going to start by washing your hands at the far end of the table as a reminder that God has cleansed you. And then you're going to take the bread. You'll dip it into the cup. The bread represents Christ's brokenness. There he was on the cross, beaten, bloody. He's a pulp, been betrayed and damaged by his closest friends. And so you and I, we sit here and go, there's no way anybody could ever understand my pain, my isolation. Nobody Everybody could ever understand how damaged I am. He, he, he gets it, bro. He, he's got it. And because he's been betrayed, because he's been hurt, because he's been left, because he's been damaged, his brokenness makes us whole. He didn't just do that like us. He didn't just do that with us. He, he did that for us. And his sacrifice was more than enough to put us back together. And that's what the cup represents, his blood. What a gruesome image. But it reminds us that he died for you and me so that we, so that we could experience the kind of life that he wanted. His death brings you life, not just the barely hanging on life, but the abundant life, the best quality of life, eternal life. He, he, that's on the table for you today. I mean, literally and figuratively, that, that's what this means. And the last thing you're going to do as you walk through the communion table is you're going to pick up the scripture from today's sermon. It'll be like a little keepsake, you know, uh, something you put in your Bible or maybe on your fridge or on your desk at work or in your car or whatever. I mean, it's, it's a way to remind you to crave pure spiritual milk, to live in engagement with God's word, to live guided by God's Holy Spirit to grow up, to mature, to seek first the things of God. Amen. Amen. So you go as we continue to sing. There's no rush. we got time. But make this matter.